Hi, I'm Amy Porter, and this is my podcast. My mission is to show people how to empower themselves through music, business, and media. I try to see as clearly as possible how I can help. I showcase the music that I've played and the people I've met along the way. I'm a wife and a stepmom. You might know me as a professor, a performer, a producer, a publisher, a recording artist. I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. Welcome in to my Porter Flute Pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. Come on in and listen to the story from 200 years ago and the drama that unfolded around Louis-Francois-Philippe Drouet. We're on the platform where we discuss etudes in depth, and I'm offering some background and examples along the way, including Drouet's story of many stolen flutes and a stolen composition. You can also find my videos of the Drouet etudes on my Porterflute YouTube channel. Welcome to Porterflute Pod. I'm so happy you're here. First, let's think about the timeline. Who was around during Drouet's time? Well, it was Berbigay, Bricialdi, Furstenau, and Altez came just a little bit later. They were all flute-playing, etude-writing fiends. Drouet's dates are born in 1792 and died in 1873. He was a flute player, teacher, composer in France and England and Holland, and he was facing the fate of the press and of thievery. I came across a blog from Troop Chair Publishers in the south of England. They're spelled T-R-U-M-L-A-U-B-C-H-E-R. And this is from their blog post dated in 2020, June 9th. I greatly appreciate the way this was written, and I knew I couldn't have written out the drama of Drouet's story better. So I decided to read what they wrote about Drouet. Let me tell you about Troop Chair. They're owned and managed by Roz Trubger, and also has an office in Slovenia, where Roz and her partner, Colin Hind, are renovating an old farm into a music and education center with self-catering apartments. Every aspect of the editions published by Troop Chair is undertaken in-house by Roz and Colin, from editing to printing and bookbinding. So, Roz and Colin are knowledgeable and personally able to answer all inquiries about the editions. Roz answers questions about music, flute teaching, and arranging, while Colin responds to technical questions. So, Let's start off with the story. Quote, Drouet was just 16 years old when he was appointed solo flute for the King of Holland. Subsequently, he was made first flute to Napoleon I and chapel master to the Duke of Saxe-Coburg. Drouet also spent significant time in London, where he performed often and also set up a flute manufacturing business. A review in the Morning Chronicle, dated March 29th in 1816, described the skill of Drouet's playing as, quote, astonishing, but complained that the small core of his flute produced a sound more like that of a, quote, spirit-stirring fife, end quote, than a, 
quote, self-complaining flute. The whole, however, is irresistibly prepossessing and was cheered by repeated acclamations, end quote. The critic in the Examiner newspaper the next month, Sunday the 14th of April in 1816, was rather less impressed, describing Drouet's playing as Quote, decidedly vile, the effect of his rapidity extremely unpleasant to the ear. However, Drouet's reputation continued to soar, so that in 1817, when he returned to England on a packet boat with Sir George Smart and Mrs. Salmon, <laughs> he shared his first billing with them for a concert and described as, quote, Mr. Drouet, first flute to the king of France. The address for his flute manufacturing business was number 23 Conduit Street, London. An advertisement in the Morning Post, March 21st, 1817, stated, quote, Mr. Drouet has the honor to acquaint the public that he has now on sale some beautiful toned instruments made under his immediate direction, which he flatters himself will be found unrivaled for brilliance and elegance, end quote. But trust was not part of the working environment in London, and within 18 months, Drouet had been swindled by one of his workers and declared bankruptcy. His father came to the rescue, enabling the young man soon to be back in business with another trading license. Morning Chronicle, Tuesday, December 8, 1818. Mr. Louis Drouet Sr. respectfully acquaints the public that he continues the business lately carried on by his son, who has lately returned from the continent. At number 358 Oxford Street, where Drouet's flutes and music continue to be sold as usual. Mr. Drouet takes this opportunity of informing the public that no flutes of the manufacturer of his son nor any of his compositions are to be had elsewhere and that to prevent the possibility of fraud upon a public which has bestowed such distinguished approbation on the works of his son, all the flutes of his manufacturer will be accompanied by a certificate signed by himself in red ink. The music also will be accompanied by a similar signature. The above precautions have become necessary because a person lately in the employ of Mr. Drouet Jr. has, during his absence, possessed himself of nearly 400 flutes of Drouet's make in an unfinished state, as well as some certificates written in black ink together with a quantity of imperfect music. The public will therefore be pleased to observe that Drouet's flutes and music are to be had only at 358 Oxford Street and that neither flutes or music are genuine unless signed or accompanied with a certificate by Mr. Drouet Jr. himself in red ink. I'll take a commercial break here to remind you that the Anatomy of Sound workshop you know and love has found a new home online. It's called AOS-Wellness, and we are here for you as a faculty to provide resources and products for arts educators and performing artists. Join for six months or one year and get our five changing channels every month, plus the back content from previous months. Those channels are wisdom, movement, meditation, 
breathing, and practice. So after this show, you can go to porterflute.com slash AOS and learn more. You can opt in for our seven-day trial and get access to my popular focus sheet, along with all of the wisdom we're bringing to you from our amazing faculty, only at the Anatomy of Sound. Another newspaper stated that London was flooded with so-called Drouet flutes, but in reality, there was scarcely a genuine one to be had. Nevertheless, Drouet's reputation continued unabashed. He was composing as well as performing. He was known as the Paganini of the flute and always much in demand as a player. A review in the Herald in 1829 described how he, quote, performed some variations on an air of Weber's, likewise composed by himself, in which he surpassed even his former performance of the concerto, fugue succeeding fugue and staccatos upon staccatos in endless variety, till, as a celebrated poet expressed it, the theme dissolved in an ocean of harmony without ever ceasing to imitate the original air. And the over-elaborate style of this review was rather amusingly ridiculed a few days later in the Harmonicon by the writer of the Diary of a Dilettante, who summed up his scathingly ironical retort with the words, quote, but this is an age of wonders and the musical critic in the Herald is the wonderful wonder of wonders. Hector Berlioz was starting to write musical criticisms around this time, and even he respected Drouet. He wrote in his memoirs, quote, I was soon an intrepid performer, a pretty reasonable singer, and I played the most difficult flute concertos by Drouet, end quote. When Felix Mendelssohn visited London, he and Drouet both performed in several of the same concerts, including one given by Mademoiselle Sontag at the Argyle Rooms for the benefit of sufferers by the inundations in Silesia. Tickets were half a guinea each. A dozen British and foreign royals patronized the occasion. And the Morning Post of the 14th of July, 1829, reported that, quote, nearly an hour before the commencement, Upper Regent Street was thronged with carriages, and in a short time, the assembled company became more numerous than the room could accommodate. Upwards of 50 ladies honored the musicians with their company. I have to confess to being somewhat amused or maybe just aggrieved by the notion of ladies honoring the musicians by their presence. was an honor, trust, or respect that encouraged another royal, namely Queen Hortense de Bohemé, to pass off a composition by Drouet as her own work? Did she feel she honored him in this manner? If you read sources, including Wikipedia, you'll see that Hortense is accredited with composing a rousing march for the army. However, various other sources give the lie to this, including the Grantham Journal, the 15th of November in 1873. Quote, The musical standard gives currency to a statement that the late Louis Drouet was the real composer of Partant pour la Syrie, which is usually attributed to Queen Hortense. End quote. 
Well, thank you for letting me read that incredible entry from the English publishing company Troop Chair Publishing for this take on this interesting part of our flute heritage. I wanted to let you know that I'm playing from the Marie Fleury edition. That's M-E-R-R-Y. And then the other person is Fleury, F-L-E-U-R-Y. And these were two very prominent men, flutists, pedagogues with significant experience in Paris. These etudes by Drouet are melodious etudes with emphasis on the study of legato technique. Don't forget that Fleury was the flutist for whom Debussy wrote Syrinx in 1913, and Fleury also premiered the work. So here it is. I inherited this edition from the John Wommer Library, and this is published in 1926, the year Fleury died. So if you'll kindly indulge me, here's what Fleury has to say about the Drouet etudes. The number of studies for the flute is considerable. For few instruments does there exist such a choice of technical exercises, methods, collection of scales, sets of studies, etc., etc. The reason for this is to be found in the fact that for a whole century, in particular the 19th century, every outstanding player considered himself bound to give the public the benefit of his experience as regards to teaching. Nevertheless, this store is far richer in studies of great difficulty than in exercises destined to players of average ability. The professor who sets his pupil up to work through Berbigay's studies and who, when all the studies have been assimilated, does not find that marked progress has been made, will find it difficult to select studies of the same degree of difficulty in the library of musical possibilities. The studies we publish today are essentially destined to supply that want of all Drouet's production, an immense output of work. This is certainly the part which deserves to be brought again to light. This famous virtuoso, who spent his long and laborious life in traveling through Europe, and who in the meanwhile had numerous pupils, wrote a mass of varied airs, potpourris, and other pieces which have long been forgotten, and justly so. But his studies are excellent, more varied than those of Berbigay. They bring out all the difficulties to be currently met with and which can be mastered by pupils and amateurs of average ability. The text has been reproduced from the original edition, which contained less mistakes than the later editions, although even in that one, there were quite an appreciable number. At the beginning of each study will be found a short notice, the purpose of which is to direct the pupil's attention to the main difficulties to be encountered. Finally, the study, comprising a summing up of all these difficulties, the crowning part of the method, the last part of which was made up of these studies, has been reproduced. Not only is this a skillful summing up of all the difficulties previously met with, but it is also an excellent study in endurance. The general tone of these studies, which are not without a certain pleasant melodiousness, are also somewhat grandiloquent. They prepare the pupil for the concerto style, which has been in some sort neglected, and which should not be too greatly regretted as regards the flute, but the utility of which, from a pedagogic point of view, cannot be contested.
Let me take one more opportunity to introduce you to the anatomy of sound where you can do a 34 minute yoga class or several different meditations all for free. You can see more of our content at AOS hyphen wellness. And if you're on our Porter flute website, it's porterflute.com slash AOS. Check us out for memberships and products that help their performing artists and arts educators. There is a Drouet eight-keyed flute in the U.S. at the National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C. It was made by Louis-Francois-Philippe Drouet in London, England around 1818 to 1819. It's an eight-keyed flute made of ivory with silver frills and keys. The flute is stamped L. Drouet, 358 Oxford Street, 827 London, and is engraved on a medallion. No flute is genuine that is not bought at Mr. L. Drouet's Manufactory, 358 Oxford Street, London, and accompanied by a certificate under his hand. In 1818, Drouet established this shop and one year later left the business to his employee, Cornelius Ward. And the inscription on the medallion is in response to the fake Drouet flutes appearing on the market during this time. We need to remember that flute teachers were writing technical studies for the development of the pedagogy for the brand new modern flute. These etudes still stand the test of time. Drouet's compositions include 10 concertos, more than 20 duets, trios, solos, fantasies, more than 300 studies, and a pedagogic method written in 1828. And a translation into English under the title Drouet's Method of Flute Playing in London in 1830. Thanks for being in Porter Flute Pod. If you'd like to visit us over at porterflute.com, that's our new website for the show. You can visit me at amyporter.com for the curriculum, and you can see me on social media as Porter Flute on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. And please don't forget to visit us at aos-wellness.com. Thanks for being in Porter Flute Pod. I'm so grateful for you.